0: What are the Jazz going to do? It's draft day. What should they do? What will they do? Will there be a trade? Andy Larson and I will explore it all next on Locked On Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked on Jazz, a draft day edition of Locked on Jazz. My name's Leif Tuleen, and I'm honored and excited to have the opportunity to talk to you guys on draft day, filling in for David Locke and the next couple of weeks. I'm a lifelong Utah Jazz fan, credentialed NBA draft analyst for the Locked on NBA Big Board, attendee of the 2023 Combine, Jazz broadcast assistant, lifelong Jazz fan, and someone who desperately wants the Jazz to get these picks right. So not only will I be informative And hopefully fun to listen to about the Jazz jazz Draft. I'm also someone who is eagerly awaiting to see what happens. And I'll hopefully bring you a unique perspective as a diehard Hoops fan, someone who's attended the Combine, and someone who's pretty familiar with numbers. So don't expect all the geeky numbers to be gone of normal Locked On Jazz as the Jazz head to this critical juncture with three picks tonight. Thanks for making Locked on Jazz your first listen every day. And remember, Locked on Jazz is free and available on Locked on Jazz on YouTube or other places. But we want to grow our YouTube. And the best way to help us grow is comment anything below. Today's question is, what do you expect to happen? It's a simple one, but I want to hear what you expect. Thank you to today's title sponsor, Bird Dogs. Awesome shorts. I actually just played a round of golf and I was wearing my Bird Dogs. So I got a really good show lined up for you guys. In the first segment, Andy Larson was kind enough to join me, and we will chop it up about the latest rumors and how we can feasibly change what the Jazz will do because there's a lot of rumors swirling around that that will impact the Jazz. In the second segment, Andy and I will talk about his preference for who the Jazz could take at nine and and why that he prefers – that that player be the pick and maybe how that impacts pick 16 and in the final segment we'll discuss what to expect after the jazz make the ninth pick should there be a trade will the jazz draft at 28 or is that that pick get moved as well or what would they do at 28 because we haven't explored that as deeply but without further ado the man who's joining me andy larson of the salt lake tribune thank you for joining me and how are you i'm good leaf and thanks for having me on draft day absolutely i i wanted to get some some outside perspective and see what you guys think as people that are studying the draft and have ties to the team outside of my own personal preferences as someone educated in the draft and in in the draft and and informed of what's going on in that. But there's different perspectives going on and what the jazz need and people close to the team really help that. So I guess the first question for you, I mean, where does the draft start for you tonight? Like, I mean, Victor Wimbenyama is going to go one at, at two and three scooting and, uh, and Brandon Miller are going to go in some variety. It for me, I wonder if the draft really starts at four. But I, I'm curious if there's a different answer that you've got as kind of like a pressure point of the draft.
1: Yeah, I might go further down to maybe number six. I mean, I, I, I Kelly Eco of the Athletic has been pretty uh, has had some good reporting saying that they're leaning towards one of the Thompson twins and, and probably Amen Thompson with that number four pick. Um, and and had reported that yesterday, so I, I feel pretty. Confident in his reporting, he's a solid reporter with a lot of connections um, with with the Houston Rockets. Uh, and then number five, I, I think, is really interesting. I think that to me is probably where the, I, I first start to kind of really consider uh, the impact of the picks on the Jazz. You know, the the kind of most common word on the street right now is that at number five, the Pistons are really kind of locking in on on uh, Jarrus Walker and as as their preferred prospect. It's kind of an interesting fit with the other players they have, but I think they want kind of his level of defensive IQ and intelligence that I, I think they've kind of been missing over the last couple of years. Um, but if they don't go with Jairus Walker and they go somewhere else, um, then I, I think that really does shake up six through nine. Um, and I, I also think that the Jazz are relatively interested in Jairus Walker, too. And, and so, um, you know, if, if he's gone off the board, do the Jazz try to move up to number five and and or do they uh, you know let that let that be and, and see kind of what happens after that?
0: Yeah, that's that's where I think the draft starts as well, is is number five, because initially I would have said four when Whitmore rumors were were very heavily like rockets are between Whitmore and Ahmed Thompson. It looks like they've they've leaned toward Ahmed Thompson. And now at five, Jerris Walker is the natural pick that I think makes the most sense. But that's also the guy that Tony Jones and I, we did a podcast a couple days ago. And we thought that that would be the guy the Jazz should go after. And, and Tony and I are both college basketball uh, nerds, and we w- love watching basketball. So that is, that's a player that I think makes a lot of sense for the Jazz. But if he's going five, I think that really shakes the draft up in a, in a way that makes it interesting for the Jazz. Uh, let, let's go through a few scenarios. Um, if, if Whitmore falls, and there's been some rumors that his medicals aren't checking out, that he's had poor workouts, how does that impact the Jazz now with Jarris Walker, one of the guys that I think you, you and Tony both seem to indicate the Jazz are into as a prospect? What, what does Whitmore's fall mean for the Jazz? Is there anything that you can glean from Whitmore falling, or is it just kind of one of these draft day falls?
1: You know, to me, if he falls and lands 6, 7, or 8, then I don't think it has a huge impact on what the Jazz do he does fall to number nine i think there are real questions on you know kind of a number of different mock drafts has had him falling to that number nine slot um and having the jazz take him there i've heard some question marks about how yeah that that workout with the jazz went and and in general kind of what the jazz think of cam whitmore um you know i I think he is a obviously very talented player a very good athlete uh can kind of shoot and defend at a relatively high level as well Um, But the question mark is kind of one of fit, right? And Will Hardy had this very egalitarian moving the ball um, offense last year. And Cam Whitmore wasn't that player of Villanova, you know, hardly ever passed it, was a ball stopper. I think if, you know, in terms of having good interviews and having good workouts, I would want to learn if he felt like he could improve that at the NBA level. Um, And if he doesn't feel like he can fit in and and won't be, uh, again, a a fit for what Will Hardy wants to do, then you start to look elsewhere. You start to really try to see if you can maybe trade up so you can get one of those uh, other top eight prospects that you do feel like would be a better fit with with what Will wants to do.
0: Yeah, that dovetails with what what Tony was saying, what, what I've kind of picked up on because doing a lot of evaluation, I think Cam Whitmore, there's an argument that he's the fourth or fifth most talented player in this entire draft class. I mean, he, he's really, really athletic. He's got a lot of traits that you look for, but what the jazz are building, I think Whitmore would probably, if he's the pick, if he's there at nine personally, that's who I'd pick just because I think there's so much talent. I think you can mold an 18 year old to be a better teammate, but I can see the rationale as to why not. So What do you think is the most feasible way the Jazz end up with what you'd grade as an A or an A-plus draft based on what you're hearing rumors-wise?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think uh, to me it it depends more about what they do with the 16 and 28 pick in terms of uh, moving up. You know, I thought Sam Vesany in his athletic mock draft yesterday had a a really smart idea uh, in terms of uh, maybe using the cap space or using the 16 and 28 pick to move up into the Dallas range and getting number 10. And, and then you allow yourself to kind of walk away with two of the, of the top 10 prospects in this draft, which, you know, I think we know, Leaf, even though the Jazz exceeded expectations last season, they're still very far away from actually contending in the Western Conference, right? And I think getting long-term uh, talent, getting multiple swings of, of talent. And I do think there is a talent gap between the number 10 uh, best prospect in this draft and the number 16 best prospect in this draft. And, and so uh, I think that to me would be an A-plus draft kind of an AA minus draft to me is maybe just uh, sitting at number nine and taking probably what's available. You know, I I think, I I still think Cam Whitmore probably ends up getting taken, uh, you know, in in the top eight picks. And and all of a sudden, then you do uh, end up with maybe a a Hendricks or a Walker or a Black. And, you know, I I do think uh, relatively, I, I think that's a pretty good outcome for the Jazz too.
0: Yeah, I, I think it really depends on what the Jazz board prioritizes. I've, I've made my assumption I have no actual tie, but I think it's got to be positional size and versatility, even more so than shooting, which is what Ainge like outwardly said, hey, we want good basketball players who can shoot the basketball but after having a diminutive backcourt that was as talented as Conley and Mitchell, I think there are scars that they're trying to like repair with band aids for a while, and now they're trying to find an actual repa- uh, source to repair it. And I think that's Anthony Black, Osar Thompson. There's a lot of big guards. My personal preference, and every dayers who listen to the Locked On Jazz know this now, is that the Jazz go after a wing. And I, I labeled Jerris Walker my A plus. So just to follow through with that thought, what do you think the likelihood is if? If the Pistons, sorry, the Rockets take Amon Thompson, like they're leaning toward that, the jazz move up to five. And what do you think the framework would be moving up to five?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. I think essentially it probably has to be nine 16 and then maybe even a future pick or, you know, I don't think 28 necessarily does it. Um, Nine and sixteen would honestly be pretty fair from like a, a mathematical, statistical draft value point of view. You know, a lot of the best kind of analytic minds in basketball have put together these draft value calculators uh, that that kind of can tell us how much picks are generally worth uh, uh, kind of overall throughout history. And nine and sixteen is is about right for a number five pick. It might even be a little bit of over overpay, but I think in this year's draft and really generally like just moving up four spots in the lottery is really tough. Um, so I, I think it would take mean maybe taking on a, a Detroit bad contract or um, something maybe in addition to that number 16. But, you know, we'll, we'll see if, if Danny Ainge is able to pull another trade rabbit out of the hat.
0: Do you think nine twenty eight in a future first, probably not one of the higher up ones would do it because the Jazz then would still, if they're targeting Walker, still need a guard. And I feel like that that's the sweet spot of the draft for guards. Um, is that like 10 through 17 range?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. I, I think it depends on that future first. And I know that yeah. it depends as a cop-out answer, but like, uh, you know, it, it you are a lot more excited about a Cavs pick, fewer, you know, further than five years down the road or three years down the road because it's after Donovan Mitchell's contract expires than you are about the 2025 pick. Uh, you know, ditto with Minnesota who despite everything is probably going to be a pretty good team next year, you know? Um, So I I think it depends. Uh, The good thing about those picks is that they're unprotected and, and, you know, maybe you trade a pick swap as part of that. Um, I don't think the Lakers pick has as, as much value as uh, maybe it could have if, if this season goes differently for the Lakers. Um, But, you know, regardless, I, I, you know, it would have to be a good mix, and and I don't love the idea of the Jazz giving up a unprotected pick to move up four spots. Um, Maybe a protected pick, uh, you know, so that the Jazz get to keep it if it is a good selection would would make a difference
0: yeah and it's just worth considering considering the fact that the jazz need a point guard like that that's what they've made apparent without like saying it abundantly like obviously um but coming up next andy will talk about the player he believes the jazz should go for at nine because i've heard andy say this before i'm not going to give it away but i think i know who it is and i may play a little bit of devil's advocate but let me tell you first about bird dogs uh bird dogs was laying on my bed when I got back from the NBA combine, I had a package. I was like, Oh, I wonder what this is. And then it was bird dogs. And ever since it's been about a little over a month and I've worn them nonstop. I got two pairs, one athletic, one kind of fancy, uh, more like lawn party attire. And I've been living in them. They look, uh, they look good. They're comfortable. And they look good, both the athletic shorts and the uh, fancier ones I've worn to outings, uh, some fancier than others, some just to play sports. And every single time someone would be like, oh, are those bird dogs? And I've given them rave reviews. So that's something that you guys should really consider looking into. Uh, Bird dogs are good for everyday use, sporting use and even look good shorts uh, or pants that address the occasion. And sometimes my, my brother is not the nicest person in terms of like, hey, those are, those look good. But I got a compliment out of my little brother. And for those of you with the little brothers, that, that's something that, that's difficult. He goes, those are new shorts. I like them. And so that, that's the real testament to Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on MBA for a free Yeti style tumbler with an order as long along with your shorts. That's birddogs.com slash locked on MBA, And you'll receive a free Yeti tumbler You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. All righty, welcome back into Locked On Jazz. And if you're here to hear about the NBA draft on draft day, which would make sense, I recommend you also check out the Locked On NBA. Mock draft, the ultimate draft where all the hosts from every team in the NBA make selections. And then myself, Richard Stamen, and Rafael Barlow break down the selections and talk about the value as picks. Really cool product that very few things uh, like very few companies can do. And that's just the power of lockdown right there, because it was an awesome product. Took a while to make. And we're really proud of the product. So I recommend you check that out. Back to Locked On Jazz, I'm joined by Andy Larson of the Salt Lake Tribune, who's kind enough to join me for this episode on draft day. And right now, Andy's going to tell us his favorite prospect, and some of you guys may have read this or heard him on various stations uh, talking about who he prefers, but but I think this is a good opportunity to play, uh, play a different perspective, because Tony and I have the same perspective, and Andy's got a slightly different one. So... I guess you know that I've heard the answer. So, give your pitch as to who you would pick at nine, and and how it would happen if the draft were the fall that way.
1: Yeah, I I love UCF's Taylor Hendricks, uh, and I, and I love him because he has an immediate way to contribute in the NBA at a high level and room to grow to imagine him to be a star. You know, even though he, he may not be, there's probably a likelihood that he's not. Uh, but I still think what he brings, you know, kind of right away in the NBA is so valuable. And that's two things. One, the the defense, you know, I think he is a really, really solid perimeter man defender uh, against a whole variety of different players um, and in a whole you know, variety of actions. I, you know, I think kind of the most impressive stuff from Taylor Hendricks, honestly, defensively is not even that. It's the weak side help. It's the block timing on some of the like chase down blocks on uh, you know, when the center has to commit and, and all of a sudden he can swing in and block an alley-oop or, or block a layup, I, it, it is, it's really impressive. It honestly reminds me of Jaron Jackson Jr. a little bit. Right? Um, and, you know, obviously the defensive player of the year. He's probably not that good right away and certainly is going to foul more than that uh, in the NBA, certainly as a rookie. And, but it, it still it kind of evokes that kind of athleticism. Um, and then the three-point shot is there, right? Like he shot 39% from three and, and looked good doing it. You know, obviously it's a smaller college sample, but love uh, the, the form. I love that he's shooting over tough closeouts. I love that he's got a quick shot. Um, I love how he is able to kind of flow into jump shots from pick and pop actions. Um, and those are real NBA skills that I think mean that right away you can put him on the floor and he's bringing you things that can help. Um, as far as how that happens, I think it is it is a little bit of a tough one because I think you do have two pros- uh, two teams in the in the top eight uh, that are really kind of invested in, in bringing in a power forward and, and probably Indiana number seven picks whichever one remains of Jairus Walker or, or Taylor Hendricks. Um, but the draft models really like him or the, the st- statistical models seem to really like him um and again I, I don't know that he's got like the ball in hand skills right now i, I don't know that that will ever be part of his game but like at worst case having a you know jay crowder is probably not the right comp but like a Jaden mcdaniels kind of player uh who can really hit some, get some minutes for you at the four you know maybe kind of old school jeremy grant um before he kind of got the high usage stuff over the last couple of years and then maybe he can develop into that 20 point Per game score as he you know works on his craft a little bit more. Uh, I, I I just love that model and kinds. Of, it's it's just hard to see him him really failing.
0: Yeah, I think this. I think he's a very high floor prospect. The reason that I prefer uh, a couple players are is more to, to do with the fact that the Jazz are not going to be like a free agent attraction. They're going to have to build organically. And if you're going to want a star, I think it's hard to imagine Taylor Hendricks becoming a star. And so. While I I think he's maybe safer than some of the other players, like I think he's safer than Whitmore, but I I would personally prefer Whitmore. I think Jairus Walker is probably more star upside and and a similar starting floor point, even though most people label him as a little more raw. Uh, So just just to dovetail a little bit of what Andy said, here's a draft profile I wrote for Taylor Hendricks a couple months ago. And it, there's some. I told you all the stats wouldn't be gone. So here's here are a few stats. He's 39% from three, 38% on all jump shots, 41% on catch and shoot threes, and he's 95th percentile in transition. Those are really good stats. Uh, I I did say I'd play a little bit of devil's advocate. So if I were the Jazz and and Hendricks were available at nine, why would Hendricks be more? Uh, popular for the jazz's front office than a guy like Bilal Koulibaly who Mark Stein reported the jazz could be interested in or maybe Kobe Bufkin who he also reported the jazz could be interested in just because my concern with Hendricks is that maybe it's like Jabari Smith Jr maybe that's a comparison for him and Jabari Smith Jr was picked at number one in a lot of mock drafts this time last year and my concern with him is I don't see star potential I see like Richard Lewis with better defense and that's a complimentary piece and maybe the jazz are thinking similar to me. Like, is that something that you think they'd weigh, weigh in or, or at nine, are you just kind of choosing what you think best available?
1: Yeah. You know, to me, I, I don't think, I, I don't think you can think that way with a number nine pick. And I, I think that if you do, uh, you know, I think that's kind of understating the Hendricks star potential down the road. Um, and kind of how tough it is to become a star in the NBA when you're not getting minutes right away. Right. Like, um so uh, you know i agree that like the jabari smith comp is is a real one and you know he was not he didn't set the world on fire last year with the rockets and yet like it, it feels very different if he has a season he did with the rockets at number nine versus number one um with kind of regards to bilal Kulabali, and kobe bufkin like Kulabali to me is, is going to be hard to get on the floor right away because he just can't shoot and you know and 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 uh it, teams are going to really hedge off of him in a major way. And when you have uh, a Walker Kessler already, you may be playing uh, Taylor Horton Tucker teams. Don't really respect Colin Sexton's jump shot right now. I mean, it's just going to be tough to generate good offense when you, you don't have shooting. Um, Now Koulibaly could, you know, really impress and really develop. And, and I actually kind of like him as a prospect. I just don't know that I love him at number nine. Um, Kobe Bufkin, uh, you know, I kind of have yeah questions with size and NBA fit on a, a little bit both ends of the floor in terms of, you know, he's probably not good enough to be your primary ball handler for a majority of an NBA game. Uh, you know, he's, who does he guard? Can he guard three positions in the NBA? I don't know that I'm super confident on that, you know, like, uh, I I don't think he can guard four position. You know, like um, I'd,
0: I'd say three at max because he's yeah, he's 186 right? Like, pounds right now.
1: Yeah, right. So right, it's tough. Uh, and, and yeah, if he's guarding threes, it's got to be the right. You know, can't be Lowry Markkinen or whatever, right? Um. So I, I I just think that um with Hendricks, it's just so easy to see how he can get NBA time, how he can learn, uh, in that NBA time, and so you're getting kind of a relatively useful player right away. And then you have a, a kid with the, the tools to potentially be something down the road. I mean, like really I think the comp is someone like a Jeremy Grant. Um and, and and maybe, you know, that's not, yeah, that's not a star player in the way that like Cam Whitmore can be a a star player. But I I think it's uh, so much more likely to hit than the Bilal Koulibaly becomes a starter level player um, or frankly, Kobe Bufkin as well, that I I, I choose Taylor Hendricks um, given kind of the range of outcomes possible.
0: And I do have Hendricks at nine on my big board, actually. So it's not it's not that I wouldn't take him. I just think that I have other preferences that would make an A plus draft. But real quickly, before we head to a, a new topic, if the Jazz were to take Hendricks, I did a podcast yesterday for every day or locked on Jazz, they heard it where I talked about complementary skill sets. Uh, and like if the Jazz are going to draft uh, Hendricks, who do you think it makes the most sense at 16, assuming they don't move up? Um, and I talked about like if they take a shooter, a, a non-shooter and Anthony Black or Osar Thompson, maybe they take a shooter. And Hendricks covers a lot of boxes, but who do you think is the most complementary player at 16? Or is there someone that you, you know that the Jazz would target at 16 regardless? I
1: still think that, at number 16 or really any pick in the draft like I don't care about whether or not they complement who you take at number nine I don't even really care if they complement who you have on your roster I I think it still just has to be who you best player available right um that being said I think there are a lot of guards in that you know 16 range that will would be good fits on the jazz roster whether that's Keontae George or Kobe Bufkin falls or uh, you know, I, I, think like Jordan Hawkins is, is, is a interesting prospect. I think there's a world in which Grady Dick slips a little bit, you know, like whatever that is, I you know, I guess Grady Dick, not a guard, but you, you, as a, as kind of a shooter to, to help fill out the roster. Um, I, I don't have a huge preference there to be honest. You know, I, I, I like Keontae George a little bit though. I worry about the size. Um, I I think you kind of, uh, to me, that's where I would go to what we talked about in the first segment and maybe try to get a little bit aggressive and and try to move up. Um, I do feel like Cason Wallace is a significantly better prospect than the other guys in that class. And I know, uh, I think you, you have Buffkin higher than Wallace. Is that right on, on your board?
0: I I actually have Wallace one spot ahead of him. I I think, I think Buffkin would be more up the Jazz's alley in terms of what they prioritize is, is what I did on my podcast. But on my personal board, I have Wallace 10 and Buffkin 12, actually Lively's 11.
1: Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, to me it would be worth kind of exploring. Hey, can you take on a bad contract, uh, you know, a Davis Bertons, for example, to, to get to number 10? Um, to me, that would be worth it in kind of the difference in prospect at number 10 versus number 16. But even if you stay at number 16, I think there are a number of like pretty good guard options that you're, you're going to be uh, that have potential that are interesting uh, that you can check out in summer league and moving forward.
0: Yeah, and, and we'll discuss that in a little bit, as well as the 28th pick, some other r- rumors the Jazz can do in the tail end of the draft. Uh, so that's coming up next. But first, let me tell you about eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. The same way, this it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need motors and accessory, uh, need motor parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors with eBay Guaranteed Fit. You can be sure every part you need fits just right the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage and look for your green check to know the part will fit, or your money back. Welcome back into Locked On Jazz. Still Leaf too lean, Still joined by Andy Larson of the Salt Lake Tribune. And we're now talking about what to expect after the Jazz make their first selection. So that includes 16. That includes the possibility that Andy and I just discussed of moving up a little bit from 16 to maybe the tail end of the lottery. And then we're also going to discuss 28 because that, that's still a possibility for the Jazz to get a good player. So my question to you, kind of talking about what we, we just discussed, is if the Jazz were to take Hendricks or, or anyone at nine, and Koulibaly or Bufkin are available. How aggressive do you think the Jazz will be? And what does the trade look like to get up to 12, 13, or I guess 10, like you mentioned? Does it have to include a bad contract or does 16 and 28 get the get the job done to move up?
1: I don't think 16 and 28 gets you to 10 through 12. I could see it getting you to 14 or 15. But you know, truthfully, it doesn't seem that teams are highly valuing end of first round picks in this year's draft. Right. Um, I, you know, maybe if there's, if someone has uh, some Intel on that, a guy will fall to there, you know um, maybe you, you, a team considers it, but really that would be kind of, uh, that would be un- unexpected. Right. I think um, if you did want to move up, it might involve a future pick. It might involve a Colin Sexton. Uh, it might involve taking on a bad contract. and And there's a lot of worlds where, you know, it just, the jazz have a lot of cap space this free agency period and don't have obvious free agent people to, you know, to, to, to sign. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to get Kyle Kuzma or Fred Van Fleet or something like that. And really, so to get a better prospect or, you know, you could walk away potentially if, if you're taking on a bad enough contract maybe with a nine, 10 and 16 or something like that, um, that gets really interesting. And, um, I think that's where it, you know you look at their reported interest in Bilal Koulibaly. Uh, I, I think if if he's available, at number ten, I think that could make a ton of sense. Obviously, San Antonio's reported to be interested in him as well. Um, I, I don't. I, I'm with you. I, I like Case and Wallace. I don't know that the Jazz uh, like Case and Wallace as much as you and I do, um, but I, I think there are some potential fits there where going up to 10 and 11 is, is really interesting. You know, Orlando obviously has two selections there and I think is in a little bit of a different mindset in terms of their rebuild than the jazz are where the jazz have a lot of patience right now. And I think the magic are looking to take that next step after a really good second half of the year last year. So um, I think both of those 10 and 11 picks could be available, I think for the right price, but I think there's going to be a significant number of bidders for those picks and the jazz will have to, um, offer what other teams can't. That being said, you know, like I think taking on bad salaries is, is an obvious way to do that.
0: Yeah. I, I think the, the trading up makes the most sense to me. If the jazz take a swing type of pick, like a high potential guy at nine, uh, that could be Koulibaly if, if, or Whitmore, someone that they think is less projectable, uh, or less safe. Like you, you talked about how hendrix's like ability to be. Jeremy Grant is more likely than uh, Cam Whitmore to be Jalen Brown. You, you didn't say the Jalen Brown, but I I've likened his yeah, absolute absolutely. star outcome to be Jalen Brown or and his maybe his floor to be more like miles bridges. And so I think that's more likely to move up and try to get a guard in that case. Um, and, and that, that kind of leads to me to my next question. I've made this point that the jazz, I think if you play how this draft falls, the Jazz want to come away with a guard just to be, get a bigger guard and start to move along in that direction. They don't need to force it because they have more picks. They've got money. But if they go a wing, like Hendricks, if Jarris Walker, or Cam, what is the pick? Even Bilal Koulibaly, do you think that they have to take a guard at 16? You you mentioned that your best player available is your philosophy. I, I tend to agree with you. But I would make an argument that between 11 and 16 – five guards, would or sorry, 11 and 18, five guards would go. And that would be Cason Wallace, uh, Kobe Bufkin, Nick Smith Jr., Keontae George, and Jalen Huchofino. I, I think the Jazz would have to take one of those. W- would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I think, especially because I, I don't think you can take Derek Lively,
0: um, even though I actually
1: like him a lot as a prospect.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, in the same boat.
1: I, I think that's the one where it's like, OK, because of the overlap between of what he does and Walker Kessler does, um, it's going to be really hard for Lively to develop in a in a real way. Um, everywhere else, though, I'm kind of fine with it. I mean, like you've got Kelly Olenek on this, uh, you know, partially non-guaranteed contract that that's pretty movable. You can potentially start whoever you draft at number nine, especially if you get a, a wing Um, you can, you can play, Ochai at the two, you can, you know, it depends what happens with Jordan Clarkson, but I think there's, uh, real minutes there for a backup, uh, three backup four type that kind of works with what you want to do long-term. Um, and, and, you know, the truth is like, not all these guys are going to work out. And it may be that you find, uh, you know, that. You, you do have a log jam at the wing positions. And luckily those are the most valuable players in the NBA to trade right now. So um, I, I guess my thing, my thought is, you know, in terms of the number of players that are, there just aren't that many great wings that, you know, if if Grady Dick did fall to 16 though, and if it was my choice between Grady Dick and Nick Smith Jr., I'm taking Grady Dick 100% of the time, even though, uh, you know, he's not playing point guard, right? Like it, I, to me, I, I just think that you can, because, of the versatility of the wing position in the NBA, because you need two, three, you need three or four of those guys on the floor at any time. uh, You can find minutes and, you know, get developmental time in a way that's harder to make happen at point guard and center, which are, are more uh, kind of established specific needs. You need, you know, specific things from those positions.
0: I think my philosophy is the same as yours. I did the podcast yesterday about how complementary pieces aren't the way I'd go about it, even not even adhering to team needs. But I think in this case, in, if the Jazz keep their picks 9 and 16, I think they have to come away with a guard just because of the way the draft falls and what is prioritized by NBA teams, specifically what the Jazz will need. Like, I think the wing is the most valuable position in the NBA. So if you're going to take a guard at nine, I'd, I'd probably prioritize taking a two way wing at 16, even though I said I'm not positionally like that's not the way I draft. But especially if you take a wing at nine, there's so many guards that I fit with the Jazz need in terms of being a, a, a taller, facilitating guard that I can't imagine the Jazz not going that direction. Uh, if, real quick, if, if you drafted Anthony Black at nine,
1: uh, who's the two way wing that you would consider at 16?
0: I actually love Leonard Miller. I, okay. I think he's more of a power forward than, than a like a wing wing, but that would be probably my preference. And I'd consider shooters. Uh, I personally am lower on Grady Dick and, and Jordan Hawkins and Jet Howard for that. And I, I love shooting. I just think they're more of luxury picks. Um, so we, we've talked a lot about 16. We talked about the ability to trade up. Personally, I think that if the Jazz – take a swing pick. Like I mentioned, they probably need to make a trade or maybe they make a trade and very aggressively. And I like the forward thinking to go get a Jairus Walker. I just don't know what it is, but the 28th pick is, is kind of the elephant in the room right now. We we've talked about packaging that in both trades. Are there players that you like at 28?
1: You know, it's funny. I, there were players that I like at 28 and now they're all kind of slated to go in that 20 through 25 range. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I, I like, uh, I kind of like the idea of Ryan Rupert, uh, Maxim proper, I think. Uh I was intrigued to see that he's going to be in the green room, um, but I I liked him as a prospect. Um I I don't know that there's anyone there that I really adore that's you know slated to definitely be or or you know likely be around at the number twenty eight pick right now.
0: I'm kind of in the opposite. Tony really? had a similar take to you. I I don't know if Derek Whitehead falls that far. Just because does, of I injuries I like yeah. um but if he does, I just wanted to say that just in case he is there and then like that's the Jazz pick. So I wanted to cover my bases. And right. then I like a couple of the high-potential guys. Um, that's just kind of my philosophy is is I love to, at the end of the draft rounds, try to take a guy with where you have an extra year with a guaranteed contract and try to get the most out of it. So my pitch would be G.G. Jackson at 28 is 18 years old, the youngest player in the draft, scored 15 points a game against the oldest conference in America in the SEC. And had he gone to North Carolina or just – kept his name in his high school class he'd likely be a top five pick the next year so why not try to bet on talent in that case and then the other guy that i've said in the same vein i don't think it's quite the same pitch would be julian phillips he was the number 13 player in his high school class played on an extremely veteran tennessee team that was second in the sec and his uh competitor at his wing position was 24 years old while phillips was 18 um so He shot 82% from the line, even though he shot poorly from three. So sometimes free throws are a good indicator. So I I like those type of guys. And then one older player I actually think probably is going to get picked before this, which I think is rightfully so, is Kobe Brown from Missouri. So if the Jazz stay at 28, I actually like that range to try to get a player. But I, I love the forward thinking of you know what if we don't get the guy at 9 that we we prioritize and we take a swing let's go get a guy that we like more than someone that would be at 16 and if that if that's what it takes for uh the aggressive move to move 28 I'm more than happy with it.
1: Yeah and, and it's funny I I think I, I maybe throughout the draft I just kind of think differently about upside versus uh role player skills you know and and Maybe especially at twenty-eight. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, basically the call between Yudoka Azubuki and Desmond Bain, where I think Doke had a higher ceiling, right? Like, was a I still a,
0: disagree a, with that, but uh, but this you know, is not I, hindsight for me.
1: Right, 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 and, and you know, I, I think, but in terms of the athleticism, you know, a, a top-tier length, top-tier, at, you know, bounce. Uh, but you know, had all the, had the tools except can't move and can't, you know, play basketball, frankly, right? Like where Desmond Bain is such a well-rounded player that the thought was, well, you know, he, we know that he's going to be a 15 minute a night wing guy in the NBA, but can he be more, um, obviously he is more than that, you know, but I, I, look at, you know, the success of Derek White or Josh Hart, or, um, you know, kind of a number of players selected at the end of that first round. And I, I think I see, uh, some of the, the similarities there have been teams uh, kind of willing to bet on older players, uh, maybe the less athletic players, um, and uh, you know, I, I think there are some some promising possibilities there. I mean, the the Gonzaga kid Brandon Podziemski is. Am I saying that right? He's uh, from
0: Santa Clara. No, Santa Clara, uh, my bad. Kijemski, yeah. uh, and sorry. then and then there's a uh, strawther from Gonzaga who's, yes, who's probably around those range.
1: Yeah, I, I am thinking Santa Clara Podziemski. Uh, I I like him from a statistical point of view, from a, you know, potentially adding value. It certainly was able to do so at the collegiate level. Um, And and maybe kind of, again, trying to just kind of smart basketball IQ guys figuring out what it is that they can do at the NBA level and contribute um, is kind of my favorite end of first round uh, pick right now, I guess.
0: That's probably smarter. I think that's a better track (laughs) record uh, I think I'm scarred forever I, and I will still say this to this day that Jade McDaniels would have been a better pick than Desmond Bain knowing what I know now Bain's a borderline all-star but I think McDaniels would have been more uh, valuable to that jazz team to this jazz team so what I what I see is a guy who's super talented who has just like one glaring flaw that's young and you have the extra year to coach and that's what I think my my priority has been but I I I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of drafting. Like even people that like know the game to study the players, we're all going to have different perspectives. And so I appreciate you for taking the time out of your day on a busy draft day. Um, Plug your stuff. Where, where can they, what can they expect from you come uh, after the draft day?
1: Yeah, we, we actually just had a meeting to figure out kind of all our draft day coverage. Uh, We're going to be writing separate articles about all of the picks that the jazz do end up bringing both from a scouting report point of view and then getting to know them in the interviews afterwards that'll all be on sltrib.com and you can read it obviously in the printed pages of the salt lake tribune as well um i'll be posting all that content of course on my twitter at andy b larson
0: awesome thank you andy and Jazz fans, everydayers, this is a big day. Feel free to interact with me, and I'm sure Andy, Tony, and all these guys have the same, same feeling, interact with them in the comments, uh, and interact with me in the comments as well as on Twitter. And next time I'll be with you. Look forward to in-depth analysis of the newest Jazz members. And until then, have a great draft day, and as always, go Jazz.